Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. So welcome to tonight's show. Um, it, I'm now on the late shows on Tuesday nights. So if you have listened to me before, maybe on the, on the Monday night or I've occasionally snuck in on a Wednesday night and I've now settled for the middle um, at 7.30. So thank you for coming and joining and listening, whether you're listening back on repeat or you're joining us live. That's great. Um, tonight I'm joined by Carl, who's going to be chatting to us. He's a, a life coach and we're going to be talking about resolutions. I'm a, a big fan of resolutions I, I like very much of kind of looking back and kind of having a bit of gratitude about kind of what I've managed to achieve in a year even if it hasn't quite gone to plan um and kind of starting afresh in the new year and I think it's about um two-thirds of Brits will actually make themselves a new year's resolution so the majority of us will make a resolution um but not many people keep them um Carl are you, are you all connected up I believe so. We can indeed. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's not many people that manage to actually succeed their resolutions, is it? No, it's surprisingly low. I, when you just said that stat about how many people set it, I got thinking the largest drop off. I mean, a, a significant percentage of those people that set it won't make it to the end of Jan. But the, the stat that I do know, and it depends on which study and stuff, but it's give or take 8% will only succeed by the end of the year. So um yeah very low and the majority of those people that do quit will quit by the end of this first month so yeah not the best stats if there to be uh is there anything to go by no i think it's, it's around 35 million british adults that will set um a new year's resolution so it's quite a lot of us and i um, i i like kind of doing different ones so i like doing kind of a fitness one um kind of a, a like a, a mind one and then a work one um so kind of sp- spread it across and then maybe I'm more likely to maybe achieve one. Um, but I think um, I just I just like the idea of kind of starting afresh, reflecting, working out on which one I'm going to kind of improve and having that kind of almost focus. But like you said, sometimes we don't always necessarily reach it to the end of the year. But even if we reach do a bit, we're, we're kind of hopefully going to improve um, a certain amount but the tricky bit is that idea of not making it through the first month and I think that's it's it, you have to complete things a certain number of times to make them a habit don't you yeah I mean there's so much to unpack in a resolution like what you know is it is it you know what 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 the intention is the duration you know is it a year long a lifelong changes that you just want to try something new um you know is it a habit that you want to adopt or so there's lots of different, um, I guess, approaches and mindsets and, like you say, different things in different areas. And we can often start with resolutions that we think we're going to want and find out that we're not in change. So, um, and yeah, when it comes to habits, which is really where I like to put the majority of the focus, because they're the steps that we need to make us, you know, to take us towards our goals. Um, obviously, there's the famous 21 days, which is um, actually a lie that was based on a um what did he do now he was a surgeon um dealing with um basically the rehab of people rehab rehabilitation of patients who had lost limbs and he found that on average for people to get to some sort of function 
was sort of 21 days and that's where that came from but to be honest it's anywhere from 20-ish days or 16 days all the way through to 181 with the average being around 66. Um, so my take-home message from that would be when it comes to habits try not to put a number on it and just give it as long as it takes. But certainly if you can make it through January you're more likely to make it further um, by the sounds of it um, and, and Sure. I know that we've we've discussed this a little bit in the in the summer for starting the new term, but I think January is a reset, and I think for me, teaching January is one of the hardest kind of terms because it is dark. It's dark when you leave the house. It's dark when you get home from the house, and it it's harder to be healthy. And actually, there's so many bugs going around as well, and especially with kind of COVID on on the increase again. I think it's really hard for staff to kind of not consider kind of get run down and exhausted and not feel their best and I think for me that's why kind of habits can be really good because if you can especially from a well-being point of view because that's what I kind of think of of resolutions and things and how it fits in with teaching but actually if you make this resolution to yourself um, and create healthy habits then you're going to be better at your job you're going to feel more energized to be able to do your job and it is starting that day and kind of doing healthy habits so mine at the moment is remembering to take my vitamin d tablet in the mornings because i'm not seeing that sunlight at the moment um, and then i'm trying to make myself have greens and drink some greens every morning to try and ward off uh any of these bugs going around especially with myself starting in a new school i've got a whole load of bugs coming my direction that i'm not ready for um and then i'm also chucking garlic into every food possible um, <laughs> so my, my my colleagues might not enjoy that in the staff room so much at lunch um but i'm trying to make myself do that because i and i know that on the days where i forget and don't have them that I start feeling a bit more tired and a bit more run down. And then if I go back and remember to take them for a few days, I do feel better. So I think starting your day well can be really important in terms of your mental health as well. Yeah, it sets the tone for the rest of the day, doesn't it? Sort of what happens first thing. And there's many different ways that you can approach that. Um, but just saying what you said about sort of this time, going back to what you said about this time of the year and the weather and, you know, the, the environment is not the most uh, supportive of change, really. And obviously, if you want to go sort of on the animalistic side of things, a lot of animals um, hibernate. And this is a period of, of uh, I think, a popular saying at the moment is sort of wintering. Um, so you've got to throw, the question has to be considered of, you know, is this really the best time to sort of instigate change? It's, what, is this, you know, or is this just something that we all sign up to because we all sign up to it? Um, I think that there's definitely worthy of a discussion and but there is something special about a psychological and, you know, a, a, a chronological fresh start. And this year is particularly special being a Monday, the first month of the first day of a new year and sort of all the stars are aligned and you do get that like you say, that wiping the slate clean of everything, you know, last year was last year, it's time to crack on. Um, but I think there is sort of this, uh, you know, like you say, with, uh, and I think sometimes maybe not a resolution, but having a theme is a good idea. So with what you're doing, you know, the theme could be health. And you can see that throughout the whole year, but the process, but you know, the steps that you take to live up to that value of health or that, you know, that theme that you've set yourself in that area of your life can change as the seasons change, if you like, you know, so at the moment it's basically, it's not necessarily moving forward. It's making sure that you don't get ill. Um, and it just, that to me is quite a sensible way of approaching resolutions is I want to, you know, 
a resolution would be I want to be healthy, which is I guess more of a theme, and then um, you know aligning habits up to that, and whilst they may change, the theme itself doesn't. If that makes sense. Completely. Um, I I'm I'm gonna tell everyone your uh, resolution for January, because um, I I think there are quite a few teachers that are into this. One of my friends um did it last year. You are doing an ice bath every morning for January. Or every day, not necessarily every morning. But is it easier to get it over and done with in the morning? Um, no, I don't think it's... It, it's probably the hardest time in the sense that obviously the air temperature and the water temperature is its coldest because it's been overnight. Um, but the, I think the benefit that I get from the cold water in terms of energy and mood boost, to me, is most beneficial first thing in the morning. And what I love about it and... Um, talking about how you start your day is that um, you know life has this tendency to throw difficult situations our way that we don't necessarily choose and therefore by getting in an ice bath first thing for a few minutes and choosing to do something difficult and overcoming you know choosing discomfort and overcoming that sort of desire to not want to do it it builds up this belief and tolerance I guess resilience that you you feel more equipped to handle whatever life is going to throw at you later on in that day um, so for me, yeah, the morning is just that. And it's just something peaceful about it. I'm up super early. So there's just something peaceful about sort of sitting in very cold water. And um, for me, it's, it's, and mental health is very important. It's just a huge mental health boost because you just go into this state of uh, calm where you're so intensely focused on your breathing to fight off that shock response that everything else that's going on in the mind just sort of gets drowned out by this, you know, overwhelming desire to just not freeze to death basically <laughs> I mean I was crazy enough to do the boxing day dip and actually mm. I don't know whether I've got it in me to do it every day but it was very exhilarating and kind of I just felt great afterwards and I think it's that sense of achievement of doing something hard is it what's the saying do something do hard things for an easy life easy life makes easy things make a hard life so if you actually kind of tackle harder things then actually you'll kind of find the more difficult when you hit difficult things you'll find them easier because you're already used to doing hard things exactly i mean you know a lot of a lot of life is the stories that we tell ourselves and so if you choose to do hard things and you know you can gain evidence that you can get through these difficult things that you sort of chosen yourself then you, you're going to go into a situation that you probably didn't choose feeling like you're better equipped to deal with it because you've got the evidence behind you that you can do hard things when when the time comes to it and and that's my thing so one of my friends um is a teacher and she used to always work out in the mornings and I always worked out in the evenings once my son was in bed because that just fitted but it was a re really hard to do it because I was tired by that point and she always got up and did it in the morning. And I also always thought she was absolutely balmy getting up and working out before work. But then I started doing it. I was like, right, I'm going to try it for a week and see whether I can do it. And I did it for a week and I did struggle. But I was like, oh, OK, I did it. So then I did it another week and then I did another week and then I did another week. And now I'm addicted to kind of morning workouts. I think it is that thing. If I get up, get my, my blood going and kind of get the energy going, first thing in the morning then I've done the hard thing first thing everything else in the day is kind of a bonus and I actually feel more energized having got up earlier and worked out than actually doing it at the end of the day when I was more tired yeah I, I, I um, 
you know, there's a lot. Moving first thing. Um, I tend to not like training first thing um, because um, I just feel like I'm just getting old and achy and it takes me forever to warm up at that time of the day. Um, but like you say, there is but the other thing about advantage of getting it done first thing is, um, and I, I encourage people if something's important, do it first thing is because that's kind of the time where you can carve out that precious little moment before the rest of the world demands your attention, you know? And so if you really want to guarantee to get something done before, you know, you're pulled left, right and center by everything else, the morning is just, is the, is the time to do it. And obviously I, I, I encourage, um, any movement. I ran a challenge called the morning mile. So this is you know, sort of the same benefit that you're getting from your workouts, just simply getting outside and moving and um, starting your day that way is, it's just a great way to start the day. And like you say, it sounds, I think for people that don't necessarily exercise consistently, like how can you feel more energized throughout the day if you're exercising first thing, like don't you get tired? It's like, it's one of those, uh, exercise is one of those things that actually it's, it's, it energizes you, even though you are spending energy doing it as you found. Yeah, I do, I do much feel like I've got so much more energy during the day if I've done a workout. If I haven't, I feel very um, kind of sluggish and, and less focused, like it clears my mind. And actually I de-stress, so I feel less stressed as the day goes on as opposed to waking up and, and having worried about all the things that I've got to get done that day. I kind of feel more, okay, I've, I've, I've got a stressful day, but I'm ready for it. Yeah, and, and you know, in, especially in your profession, there's a, a book called Spark, which is a fantastic read about how exercise affects our brain. Um, and, and, you know, the, a lot of the studies that the book mentions are the, um, there's something called BDNF in our brains. It basically primes us for learning. And this is why in America they were doing these experiments with schools where they were doing a morning mile or morning laps at least. And they put, you know, did a pilot study and, and some of the kids went through the program and some of them didn't. And the ones went through, um, you know, the, the difference in grades and everything was was um, obviously significant enough to, to publish the results and everything. And it is, it, it's it's just so good for you. It's one of the, it's not easy. I don't, I don't think that does it justice because exercise obviously can be hard and for some people it's harder, but it's, it's the um, best, and cheapest form of, of if you want to call it an antidepressant or a mental health promoter that there is i think there was a study as well wasn't there about um children and exams and exam stress that actually the kids that did a cramming lesson of revision before going into an exam did worse than a group of kids that actually went for a walk and had a little bit of an exercise and a de-stress before going into the exam and completing the exam they were actually even though they didn't get that extra time to cram the last bit of information, just going for that walk and de-stressing and going into that situation calm meant that they did better uh, um, in the exam. Yeah, and that would align from what I read in, in the book, Spark. Yeah, that it, it, the impact it has on the brain in terms of memory, um, learning, de-stressing, everything. Yeah, that would, that, I haven't read that study, but that would make perfect sense. And I think, it like I know you might may not be a fan of exercising first thing in the morning, but you certainly go out for your morning walk, and that's something that teachers can do. And it is it is one of those that is much harder to do it at this time of year when it is dark. But um, it's it, I think it's by the end of this month it's going to be five pm. I think it will be light till, and then end of February it'll be six pm. In my head, I've got that kind of like I know when the daylight is coming. It's not that far away anymore. We're like getting into this month a little bit, and it won't be far away till it's light when I get home. Um, 
But I think it's like you said, just getting up and having that movement first thing in the morning can really help um, with your day. And I think I think that that's the word I prefer movement because I just think it's more, um, you know, it, it allows more freedom. So I'm not and like, I actually encourage most people to exercise first thing. I just personally I can't get on with it. Um, but like you say, I also but I do have to move. And so right, like you exercise, I'll go for a long walk with my dog. Um, sometimes I'll do sort of yoga stretching thing um, if I'm feeling disciplined enough but then I'll always do some form of movement um so yeah it's just for me getting to the gym first thing is um and also you know you have to I find that I'm most creative first thing so it's actually when it's most beneficial for me to work and that is something that I think a lot of people don't take the time to do which is understand their own sort of peaks and troughs in um what should we call it, the assets that are necessarily beneficial to them. So, you know, energy or creativity. I think we all we all sort of peak and drop at different times throughout the day. Obviously, the most well-known version of that is the chronotypes, you know, night owls. Um, what's the morning one? Morning morning larks. Um, there's three, and then there's middle of the day, which I think lions, I believe. But anyway, we all, we all have different energy cycles. And so I think one of the, and unfortunately, obviously, in, in the society that we live in, we don't get as much autonomy as we might need to be able to sort of take full advantage of that because obviously external things are demanding. You know, for example, if you're in a nine-to-five job and you peak in the afternoon, you could be useless for the morning, and then you get kind of sent home halfway through when you're at your best and stuff like that. But doing your best to naturally align um, yourself with those natural, your chronotype and those natural energy cycles is um, obviously a way to sort of improve yourself, if you like, and taking the time to understand that um, and work it out is, is a really good thing to do, which is, I think, why I also can't exercise in the morning because um, it takes me a while. No, that's I, I, I've listened to the, the thing that mentions about the I never knew that that you, it's to do with your chromosomes as whether you're a morning or an evening person, which is why there's like some people when they live together, like later on in life, they, they can really clash and don't understand each other. You don't change. But I feel like I force myself to change in terms of getting up in the morning. But I definitely still not quite a morning person when it gets to those holidays and I don't have to get up that early. I very much easily slip back to being an evening person. Um, and is that balance but I think what helps me is is kind of preparation and it's the idea of kind of helping with your habits of, of leaving equipment out and leaving uh, my gym stuff out in the morning so I don't have to think about it I can do it half asleep and not really be awake until the end or making sure I don't hit myself in the face with a weight is useful um, but that kind of preparation is going to be key for kind of helping with your goals yeah, so what you're doing, which I think is again hugely important, is you're you're creating an environment that supports your goals and habits, right? So you're making the easy thing easy and the, and the wrong thing difficult. Um, the classic one, I think a lot of people talk about, is like when I was sort of more in the personal training space, and I used to do sort of a kitchen makeover assessment, and it's like, hey, you, you know, you, you told me that you know you like to binge on chocolate or whatever it may be. You know, we all have the, the food that we like to sort of come to eat on, let's say. And it's like, you know, don't have that in the house. Make you know, it's not it's not you're not banning yourself from eating it. If you want it, you have to go to the shop. You're just putting obstacles between yourself or you're putting friction between yourself and the, the habit that you don't want and you're trying to make it as frictionless as possible to do the one that you do. So obviously what you're doing there in your situation is you're waking up and you're basically confronting you're removing any excuse 
or, or obstacle that, that would be in your way because everything's pre-done for you. So you're also sort of using your present self the night before when you might be more motivated, you know, just before you go to bed, you're like, we tend to be like, oh, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to, I'm going to you know, smash a workout. And then obviously when we wake up in the morning and it's tired, that motivation is no longer with us. So by prepping when you're feeling motivated, you're kind of being sympathetic towards the future you, which might not feel as motivated. And you're just making it easier for that version of you to do the right thing, which is just an awesome way to do things. And the uh, the other kind of way to motivate yourself is to do it with, with somebody having, I, I kind of have me and my friends do the same workout and that's kind of how we keep each other kind of accountable slash motivated as kind of mums that we can't like necessarily go out and actually physically see each other. Um, but I think that there's a lot of more things going on in schools in terms of um, kind of some schools have park runs actually at their school or some schools do. My old school had um, used to have a run club on a Monday night and quite a lot of the staff would run in it with the students, which was really nice. Um, and kind of things like that. Um, we had a ping pong after school um, table tennis and the kids and staff would play. So it's that kind of thing as well. And I'm quite open with the students. I will tell them my goals and tell them the things that I'm trying to achieve and, and things like that. And and it kind of opens a dialogue because especially kind of the GCSE A-level students, because they start kind of thinking and going into fitness and being more kind of in control of that as opposed to the younger years doing clubs and activities that are more set for them. It's the older years that will start going to the gym thinking about kind of their workouts and things. But I think it's good to kind of show them as students that we have goals and that we're trying to develop and that we're not this kind of perfect teacher in front of them telling them what to do because we've all got it all sussed out and we've got life sussed out and we're we're perfect. That life is about developing and changing and giving things a go, even if they think I'm insane because I'm going to run into the sea on Boxing Day. Yeah, and I think it's even more important now where there's a certain um, maybe unrealistic portrayal of what life is really like by a lot of people on social media. You know, it's it's. I think we always hold, you know, when we're younger especially, we always hold um, sort of our role models in this light, right? You know, it's like to say, sort of never meet your heroes because when we're younger, we do have this idea that they're faultless, they don't do this, they don't, you know, they don't, make the mistakes we do and everything so I think you know that what you're doing is great in in the sense that it it's sort of being open and like you know you're being vulnerable and being like yeah you know we've been where you are and 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 also that you know we we share the same human traits and desires and make the same mistakes and have the same flaws or have the same flaws and work through them and I think it just obviously makes you more relatable in, in, in one sense but it, it does just break down that barrier of of I think it's easy today, and I, to be honest, I, I, I do, you know, I, I'm very fortunate that while social media has been a big part of my life, I wasn't there, you know, I was there before it as well, so I've got probably one of the last generations that, that you know, is going to know sort of both, if you know, the, the before and the after, except everyone now is not, and, and I do think that there is, um, you know, the, the potential to just detach from what really is real um, and, and this extra pressure to almost betray or be seen in a certain light, which is, you know, hiding things that don't fit the narrative or, you know, personal branding and, and everything. There's a lot of pressure, I think. 
I think as well with with um, the thing with social media as well is is that addictive thing of scrolling that endless scroll is it's based on that gambling loop and uh, even the colours that they put on alerts uh, are based on kind of they've researched the type of colour the red that you're most likely to click on and things like that and I think that the kids it's kids especially but I think it as adults we're definitely guilty of it is that we're you can end up doing it and you, you lose track of time and then suddenly you've lost your time and you've not been as productive as you could have been. And especially kind of around in evenings and before bed and sleep. And I think that's something that I've noticed in the last year, that how important sleep is, especially as I'm getting older. I felt I think when we're younger, you feel like you can you can you can survive on minimal sleep and still function relatively well. Whereas if I have a bad night's sleep now, I'm I'm struggling. And I think also with that kind of social media, I think I am seeing it with kids, especially in their teenage years when they need more sleep to be developing and growing. If they're not getting that sleep, they're coming to school grumpy, like they're not alert, they're not engaged. And I think it's that something that we as teachers as well, we need to be make sure that we're doing it and looking after ourselves as a habit for us, but also something that we need to make sure our students are aware of and that they're thinking are they are they getting enough sleep to develop properly? Yeah, I mean, sleep for me is is, is when I look at people's um, sort of the areas of life. Sleep is one of the first that I look at, just because poor sleep, the ramifications of poor sleep, and I'm not talking sort of chronic poor sleep, even acute poor sleep is. Uh, and by poor sleep, I think people don't under, under, understand how easy it is to fall into that category um so for example if you only get six hours of sleep in one night your anxiety symptoms can be 33 percent higher the next day that's just one night of six hours which i don't think is that unusual these days and that's you know that's an increase from whatever your baseline is so if you're already anxious um you know and you get you, you get a bad night's sleep you can see you know not obviously that's a study it's, it's the average but you know, if you take the average, it's 33%. Um, obviously, a lack of sleep affects the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that makes our decisions, which is why we find it harder to do the things that we want to do. You know, we become uh, more emotional rather than rational. We, we find it harder to stick to habits, um, you know, stick to our goals. Um, we find it harder to learn things, um, or what we do learn doesn't stick as well. You know, we tend to be more forgetful. It's just, yeah, and when you're younger and you do tend to need more sleep because the brain and the body is growing um, and they're such formative years, I do think that there should be more awareness around it. I mean, it's very hard because, you know, the culture of, I think we're moving away from it. I think, you know, um, more awareness is still quite a young area of, of research, but I think, like you say, is one of the ways that it, it um you know, it used to be when I was young, you know, sleep is what, you know, all the rock and roll sayings, what is it? Sleep when you're dead and sleep is for the week or yeah, uh, all of these kind of things. I think that is phasing out, but there's still obviously a hangover from that. And um, I, I, that's the one thing I would change is like, honestly, sleep is just huge. Um, and like you say, it, it kind of, obviously, as we're older, it will impact us in different ways. And, and you know, but in those early years, for everybody um from the day we're born to the to the day we die i think sleep is um it's huge and i think especially from like a well-being point of view it's really important i mean i i um did a trial with whoop and i found that really interesting seeing um my levels when i slept 
Um, so when I was going through stressful times, specifically at school, because I find it, I really struggled to switch off when I lie down in bed. I think about all the things I've got to do for work. And I'm sure this is, ev I'm speaking for pretty much every teacher out there, um, especially when it gears up towards exams. I will, I used to have a book by my bed. So when I um, dreamed about students' work and ideas for them, I would then write them down um, in my book and then go tell the students, I was like, I've got a dream. I've had an idea. Um, I feel like Joseph in the Technicolor's dream coat. I had a dream. Um, but it, 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 it definitely I think as teachers our jobs we, we we don't let go we kind of take it home with us and you think about it and you think about that kid that something's happened to or you've thought about that lesson that didn't go quite as well or a lesson that you've got to plan or you've got to change or adjust that's coming up it's really difficult to switch off and I didn't realize so sometimes my stress levels were higher when I slept than when I worked out which uh, says a lot I think but that's my new year's resolution is trying to work better on my sleep and I think some of that is trying to distract myself when going to sleep before going to sleep so I'm not thinking about it um so I think I'm like I'm going to kind of almost combine two habits I, I want to improve my sleep but I want to read more um, and obviously, if anybody is looking to join me on my habit and wants to read more, you can check out our sponsor, lovely sponsors at johncampbookshop.com and use our code JCTTR2324 for 20% off. So if you want your bedtime reading, then go have a look there and see what else they've got. They've got some great um, books on well-being as well, if that's your thing like me. Um, but I just I'm really struggling with that habit and how I, I break it. But I know that's what I need and I think if I can crack it then I think I will have a lot more energy and do better at work if I'm not stressing about it before I go to sleep it's just interesting language you use though because you said I know that's what I need but my question to you though is is that what you want maybe that's why you're struggling <laughs> it's, it's it's that one of it's that balance of I feel like I work too late and then I want to relax and want to do the fun things and check out social media um but I need know that I need to kind of read a book and chill out and go to sleep. I, I don't know. Maybe it's that I remember my mum doing that. So maybe it's me thinking, oh, that makes me officially old if I go to bed and read a book. <laughs> yeah, there could be like some rebellious side of you that's just like, no, that's what old people do. And that's not me. I mean, the other option is I think you're, you're, you're right. I think we all need to have a period of time, maybe half an hour or so before we want to go to sleep where we wind down. Um, I just think that we need to be, you know, um, flexible, I guess, in the approach that we take. So I know some people that will uh, listen to an audiobook or they will listen to music. Um, some people I know journal, which if you've got a busy mind and you are trying to decompress, that would be my go-to recommendation. Um, obviously, reading is an option. Meditating. So it's it's. I think you're spot on. I think having that wind down and doing something to almost decompress from the day and quieten the mind is the right thing to do. I think, um, you know, they need to sort of be open to exploring different ways to achieve that goal. Um, I love reading, so like I'm all for it. I think you've got to be careful what you read. I used to, I read a lot of um, non-fiction books and I, I think, you know, I soon realised that actually reading about, uh, I don't know, separation anxiety from childhood five minutes before you go to sleep probably isn't isn't the uh, most productive way to go about trying to relax so you know see leaning towards fiction and things that help you disengage but 
it's it's finding that thing that works for you um and that you want to do and enjoy because the more you enjoy it and benefit from it obviously the easier it's going to be to maintain yeah i've i've i struggled i tried journaling and then i i kind of fall in and out of love with it i'm not very good at doing it but i have done it since new year i've only had one day where i failed and didn't do it but the rest of the time i have done it and i've done it quite short but i found that quite good in terms of reflecting and realizing the things that I have done and the things I have achieved rather than because I find it very easy to focus on all the things I didn't achieve and all the the failures of my day and all the things that went wrong in my day um but it is slowly helping me to think all the things that did go right because obviously I've, I've started a new school so I'm learning loads of new systems I wanted to go in smashing it perfect but I, I'm tripping over myself learning it's been six years since I've been in a new school and trying to re- learn all the new styles and techniques and language that they use I am tripping over myself and I'm getting frustrated with myself that I'm not perfect straight out the gate but then having being able to reflect on it and think about the things that have gone well, the connections I have made with students, the bits that has gone right, or the bits where I have put myself out of my comfort zone, and I now know how to do that better next time. I've 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 clicked with it more, I think, in that respect of of kind of thinking about. I, before I was just being quite negative and writing about all the things that I didn't didn't go well, but now I'm trying to I'm finding the positives in it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think journaling is a deeply personal experience and there's so many different ways that you can go about it. Um, something that it sounds like that you're kind of doing now is the five-minute journal, which is, I mean, there's many iterations of it. I can't remember what the official one is, but one version I use, for example, is uh, three wins for the day, think three things I'm grateful for and three lessons learned, you know, so just bullet points. Um, the three wins, like you say, is to even on a bad day, there's usually something that goes well and it forces me to look for that um the three things i'm grateful for again just switching into that mindset okay yeah you know let's say it was a bad day but however you know here's how it could have been worse i'm grateful that you know i've got this this and this and then the three lessons is obviously the element that we grow from which is you know rather than looking at mistakes as well that didn't go well it's like okay well what did i learn from that experience and that's one way to do it um the other thing i think you find and i found this very similar to you when i started long form journaling so what people call stream of conscious writing which is literally when you just dump your brain onto the pages it doesn't even have to be coherent you just literally write and write and write is if if it's the first time you do it it's a bit like imagine i watched a video randomly on the internet today where this guy is going around and clearing up rivers um he's just taking it upon himself um, to clear up junk from rivers in, in in the forest um just i guess to make them beautiful again and Obviously, you know, there's, he finds all sorts of rubbish in there blocking blocking the water. And initially what happens is when you remove the branches and there's trolleys and all sorts, the water starts moving again, but it's very murky and it's very congested and there's all sorts of crap floating in it. But obviously the more it flows and the faster it starts to flow as it you know gets moving again, the clearer and clearer it becomes. And I think journaling is a lot like that. I think when... You know, if we have had a particularly tough time or we do tend to be someone that views things more on the negative side is when we first start, all that negativity comes pouring out. But the more that you stick to the journaling habit and, and you know, the, the longer that you keep writing, essentially that ne- you just run out of things to be negative about. And 
just like the water and the river kind of gets clearer, the, you'll, you'll notice that your words, and maybe this is what you're experiencing now, but your words and your thoughts will just tend to switch to more either neutral or positive things. So I, my encouragement to you would be is to be just because it doesn't come across as negative, maybe that's just what you need is just to get all of that out of your head, like kind of clearing the, the blockage, if you like, so that everything else can come flowing through. And, and as you're saying that, I'm I'm just thinking. So th- this is I had um, Ben West, who's a mental health advocate, um, on a show just before Christmas, and we we're talking about kind of mental health um, support for students in schools. And I feel that this is something that we should be teaching kids about: teenage children that don't want to talk to each other but have all this teenage angst inside them. Like, actually, we should be teaching them to kind of do this, to kind of get it all out of their system, to kind of give them tools and strategies to be able to reflect on what's going on. Especially, like, I think, like you said, there's all this social media pressure on them to be perfect and have everything and have everything sorted and be happy all the time and celebrating and promoting their perfect lives, when actually we need to be teaching them how to kind of, deal with the negatives be really grateful for the things that they do have and then they can see the positives after and I think that's also also goes for us teachers as well we quite often give everything to the students and we don't necessarily look after ourselves and I think that's where teacher well-being is done properly if you can get your teachers to really think about themselves and look after themselves um, and kind of give them these tools I, I, I remember doing it on a training day quite a long time ago it was about um it was it was it was something something to, oh, what what it was Suzanne Cole she talked about sharpening your your um saw and it's like you can't you can't how long is it going to take you to cut a tree if you've got a blunt saw like you have to look after yourself and have a sharp saw in order to be able to actually cut the tree most efficiently uh, and that's where it goes for teachers we have to look after ourselves we have to have a staff body that's not kind of going to burn out because we're not sleeping properly because we're thinking about all the things that we've got to do. And I think as, as a collective, especially with um, everything that happened last year with Ruth Perry, we need to look after each other as a teaching community and make sure that we are kind of doing everything we can to see the positives and um, just give ourselves a bit of slack around all the negatives because we'll quite often we I think we as a profession very much see the negatives um but yeah I think seeing the positives and seeing the things that you do do is really important to kind of growing and succeeding and and de-stressing yeah a really cool for anyone listening that's going through a uh maybe an overly self-critical or self-judgmental time is um so an exercise that you can do, and it is a journaling exercise, but it's, it's called a letter to yourself. And I think that it's, it's one of my favorite exercises. Um, and you basically take a situation in your own life, something you're going through or recently gone through, and then write a letter to yourself from the perspective of someone who really cares and loves you, whether it's a friend or a family member. Um, and write from their perspective, you know, what what would they say to you? And then put it aside for 50 minutes and then read it back because we are more often than not, you know, we speak to ourselves in ways that we would never speak to anybody else. And this exercise just forces you to come from the perspective of, of, you know, how a friend would speak to you. And then it just highlights the difference between, you know, it's it's just a great exercise to self-compassion. And I think that's what you said. And then obviously there is that, that shared compassion as a profession that you can have. 
which is, you know, it can often feel in this world like, you know, we're the only ones going through it. You know, our situation is unique and it's, it's only us that feels this way. And actually, if we are more vocal and outspoken in how we feel, not in, you know, in, in a vulnerable way, not in a, an attention-seeking way, in, in a, in a, you know, just if we are more vulnerable and honest and open with each other, we'll realize we've got this shared experience. And not only does that make us feel sort of less picked on by the universe, if you like, like, you know, like there's something that we've done wrong, but it also more than likely will, when you put many people together, sort of make things easier, but make it faster to work, to work towards some sort of resolution. Bet UK is just two weeks away. Are you ready to join 30,000 attendees, 600 plus exhibitors on seven content stages from 120 countries and see Louis Theroux, Dame Darcy Bustle, Jason Arde, Laurel Carner, Baroness Luella Benjamin, Dan Fitzpatrick, Mr PICT and so much more. I might need to bring my trainers. The best part? Educators go free. Get your ticket now at uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR. 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. It's quite interesting what you said because um, we had, um, I was in the staff room today and um, some teachers were talking about a teacher that I didn't, I didn't know. He was a, a head teacher that was known from one school that had moved to another school hadn't been very long there very long didn't kind of gel with the trust and had left and gone somewhere else and they were talking about the fact that he'd gone um and they all kind of went we need to know where he he's gone to so we can send our children there because I really rate him and I was like oh for him to have moved schools to a new school and for it not to be his kind of school and gel and to have left like he must be mentally that's quite a really big decision to kind of leave and things. I was like, I wish he could hear your conversation. I said it to them. I was like, I really wish he could hear you talking about him and how amazing he was for previous children and that you've had and how much you would like other, your children to be in his leadership. Um, when he's, he's in that state where he's probably, that's kind of quite a big thing to kind of leave a school after a short amount of time under those circumstances. Um, I was, and it, one of them went, oh, actually, I do kind of know where he lives because I've driven past him. I could drop a letter. And I was like, I think you should, because I, I think that's the thing. We, we're all very good at kind of burying our heads and getting on with it. But actually, 
it's really important to do those things. And I, I love it. I, I'm old school. I like writing thank you cards and thank you letters and stuff. And I'll make my son do all his birthday and Christmas card ones. But um, my school actually get the kids to write thank you cards and they give it to a teacher um, at the end of each term. And there's um, a teacher that only started a few weeks before me. He's covering maternity leave and he's deaf. So he has a um, a signer in his room. So it's quite a difficult situation in him, for himself to teach. Um, and uh, one of the kids wrote a letter. Cause he's only been teaching them two weeks and wrote him a, a thank you letter, just saying how much he's really enjoying his lessons with him and how much of a difference it's made. And like, he was so excited to get it. And he showed it to me on the first day of teaching, like, look at what I got from one of the kids. And I think it is that that well-being thing within schools of, of kind of giving yourself slack and seeing the good that you're doing, but also telling each other and it being this kind of community thing that as teachers, we're, we're really appreciative of each other and we celebrate each other. Also getting the kids to do it as well and to realise how lucky they are to have such great dedicated teachers. If you can ha- get that ethos in your school, then you're sussed. Yeah, it's, it's just a pretty. I wonder why we're so bad at that. Like, why, why? You know, I, I, I was just thinking it through as you were saying that. You know, like, I think maybe it's because we just assume that what we think about somebody else, they already know. Do you know what I mean? You know, like, yeah. I mean, you hear, you hear sometimes you hear people say it's like you already know this, but and it's like actually, you know, we don't know that. That's a huge assumption on our part, and and that person could be insecure, or you know, it could be. So sometimes, you know, it is nice when someone just turns around. It's just like, just to let you know, um, you know, I really appreciate everything you do for this. And it can make a huge, it costs us nothing, that that just that small compliment, that small act of kindness, but it can make a huge difference. And I think the reason that we don't, and this is a guess, obviously, is that we assume that they already know how much they're appreciated. When the truth is, you know, probably don't, you know, because we know that we don't go around paying, you know, we... I mean, I don't know about you, but people don't randomly come up and say nice stuff to me. And so why would the person that we're sort of refraining from saying something nice about, why would people randomly say it to them? And we we assume that people do, but then it's just, yeah, it's such a nice thing, isn't it? You know, and I think, you know, thank you letters and, and so much stuff gets left unsaid. And I often think that there are times when something maybe happens and you're like, that's when you realise, you're like, oh, you know, I wish I'd got the opportunity to. Um, I believe it was Seneca. Um, Seneca or Socrates? I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Seneca. Um, the philosopher. And, and it's a bit morbid, but the Stoics tended to be that way. Um, but it was It was like he, he said, um, every, time, every time you put your daughter to bed, kiss her and let her know how much she's appreciated as if it's the last time you'll get to do so. And obviously the point he's making is like, if it's something's important to you, you need to do it now because you just don't know when the, you know, if this is the last opportunity you'll get. Um, so I think we should be a little bit more kind. And like, if we, if we feel that someone has done something that's sort of deserving of compliment, we should say it. Is it just a British thing? Like when you apologise when they bumped into you kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, it, maybe, maybe it is. It's like, I'm really sorry to disturb you. I wanted to pay you a compliment, but I feel that I'd be intruding if I did. So I'm actually just going to refrain from doing so, so as not to embarrass both of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I think, yeah, I think I, I'm all for it. Not random acts of kindness as such, but I think, you know, it is. And, and you know, even just, if someone's wearing a cool jacket in the supermarket, I guess it could get a bit weird. I don't know where you draw the line, but I just do do think that we have got to this point where we just no longer it's sort of 
Well, that's even. I guess that's even a point that I'm trying to make. Right? Why has it become weird to just say, not in a weird way, but just just to say nice things about people with with no other malintent other than to compliment them? You know. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's just me. <laughs> maybe that should be someone's New Year's resolution to give more compliments. Because I think like it's 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 a thing, isn't it? Apparently, there's a study is that kind people that are more kind are more happy. So if you're more kind to people, then you're generally more happy. I like that stat. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 a real thing. That's the um, you know, sort of the more you give, the more you shall receive kind of thing for sure. Um, if anybody listening wants to uh, tell us their New Year's resolution, you're welcome to call in. You just have to hit the mic button on the bottom left-hand side and you come tell us your New Year's resolution. We'll give you some tips to help it be successful. Um, There's got to be in, some good ones out there, hasn't there? Yeah, I have. I, I, I secretly have um, asked my New Year 10 tutor group what their New Year's resolutions are. I, I disguised it. I learned a lot about them. I learned what their favourite subject was, what their least favourite was, where they want to college, want to go to college, what they want to do for work experience and what they want to do. And then I asked them what their favourite thing about Christmas was, their least favourite, and then what their New Year's resolution is and what habit they would most like to change. So bear in mind, this is from some uh, kind of 14, 15 year olds. Um, I've got I've got a few that are try and focus more in lessons. I think that's just going to be a general one in terms of kind of just thinking and focusing a little bit more there's a few obviously year 10 they're going into kind of starting this ramping up of exams I've got a couple that are past my marks and that are um do more revision so I think they kind of come hand in hand um how would you build up like the habit of kind of doing revision especially if you're like after school and you're tired I guess it's kind of a bit, some of it will be kind of, like we said, setting up their environment. So making sure they've got a workstation, potentially a revision schedule. But how, is there a way to kind of help them focus more or kind of um, ways to kind of schedule themselves to have better um, productivity? Um, yeah, I think of those two resolutions, I definitely prefer the uh, revise more rather than pass my mock exams because obviously one's an outcome and one's a process and we can't really always control the outcomes, but that revision would lead to, anyway, that's just my mini rant over. Um, <laughs> but I always, be, I always prefer process goals to outcome or focusing on the process. Um, I think uh, hydration and food, you know, nutrition does play a role in, in productivity. You know, we don't want low blood sugar. We don't want to be dehydrated. That's going to prevent focus. The other thing is obviously environment. So if you are working or wherever you are studying, you know, phone away or if you need your phone blocking. Um, I have a, an app called OneSec, which blocks me out of social media apps for uh, blocks of time. You can predetermine how long you want those blocks to be. So when you, you basically can't access them, there are other web blockers, one's called Freedom and stuff like that. Um, you know, making again, making it difficult to, to get distracted. Um, you know, if you like to, if, if you're in a noisy environment, maybe whacking on some headphones and having um, some background noise. I quite like when I'm writing, I quite like instrumental music. I can't have lyrics because that distracts me, but just something to drown out the noise. If, you know, for example, I like working in the cafe because that background noise actually helps me. Um, but if it's distracting noise, like other people in the house, then something to block that out. Um, and I would say, um, 
I quite, I'm, I'm quite a big fan of sort of a form of time blocking at the moment. I don't know if you've heard of Pomodoro, um, which is working for 25 minutes, relaxing for five or resting for five and then doing that um, and then taking a longer break after three or four. So you're kind of having a deadline so you don't feel like, oh my God, I've just got to sit here for the next hour and a half where you can say, I've just got to do 25 minutes and I can get up for five minutes, then do another 25 minutes um, and doing it that way. Um, it takes a lot to be able to sit down for 90 minutes straight and get into this kind of deep state of focus. So breaking that down into smaller study chunks could be beneficial. Um, if you're someone that's really easily distracted, you know, breaking it down even further, maybe just 20 minutes, 15 minutes and, um, you know, could be, but, but essentially breaking that longer term goal. If your goal is to, let's say, study for an hour and a half or an hour, breaking it down into more manageable chunks. And then what you might find is as your focus or your ability to focus increases, you can lengthen the amount of time. Uh, but the big thing I think for, for exams and, and again, I was fortunate here that, you know, social media wasn't around and everything. So I think I probably would have failed most of my exams if it was, is removing distraction making sure that your environment is, is conducive to studying, you know, making sure that you've had some food or some, um, and the one thing that I would do at the end, actually, just to really um, sort of finish the loop is if you want is, is have a reward. Um, yes. You, you know, so, so put something at the end of the, the so a, a traditional Pomodoro is four 25 minute blocks and then you get a half an hour break. I mean, you don't have to stick to it like that, but let's just pretend that that's the situation that we're using. So it could be, you know, after I've done an hour and a half of, of studying, I'm going to watch an episode of or play whatever on the Xbox or go onto Instagram or chat with my friends on WhatsApp, whatever it may be. But you need to reward the behavior that you're trying to encourage because it sounds so simple, but it's, you know, it's the brain is then going to get wise. Like, okay, well, if I do X, then I get to do Y. And there's a man, there is an amount, a certain amount of discipline in, in enforcing that yourself. Um, but you can then obviously, like you said, earlier about accountability is you know you can get something that's like look don't let me do this until i've done this and that person will hold you accountable you know so it's like if i text you before 5 30 don't reply you know and then yeah get, yeah get, get, i was get, gonna get, say that if, if 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 as kids you got them to kind of focus in little revision groups and be like even if they had like their group whatsapp and they went right we're all going to revise for an hour no one's allowed in here until this amount otherwise you all owe us uh, a bag of sweets tomorrow or what have you and therefore they, yeah. they're like like and do it together and then they don't have FOMO that they feel like they're missing out on all their friends chatting or doing something that if they go and kind of do this and kind of do it as a group thing that they're going to succeed in their revision um, can be quite a fun way of doing it I think that's the thing because the stress of GCSEs is massive and I think actually if you can make revision kind of take the pressure off and do it in that fun group way um, even though they're doing it individually but it's like right we're all going to revise for an hour and then we're going to reconvene and we'll all have a gossip or something um, that can really help break it up and, and have that camaraderie that's going to feel like you're all doing it together yeah we do it that was right like well, look, let's all go to the gym and meet up we'll do this class and then we'll sit down and have a coffee or a protein shake afterwards it's a similar concept but I think there is that like study groups like we'll all go to the library for an hour or I used to do like we'll go for live now and then after we've done that we'll go and do do this um and then like you say not only are you eliminating the fact that there could be something more appealing that you're missing out on um but you're holding each other accountable and then you know probably making it more enjoyable which is a, which is a, which is a big part of it i mean it's, you know when i say it might not necessarily be enjoyable but it could be more enjoyable 
but then you're also sort of celebrating rewarding yourself with the people that you want to be with so yeah it works on many levels um yeah and i would i don't know what i think we we we, we talked in the summer didn't we we mentioned caffeine um but you know if it is i would try yes. and limit caffeine especially at, at that age um monsters and prime among yeah. others other energy drinks are available um they they they're obviously going to be having massive effects. I I didn't realize to how much extent because I was um I was listening to a podcast about sleep because I'm 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 doing that typical thing where I'm researching about sleep rather than doing the actual thing of going to bed early and sleeping. Um but that I didn't realize how long caffeine kind of stays in your system and I think as teachers I I mean I I'm the exception to the rule because I don't drink caffeine but a lot of teachers you see constantly filling up their uh, coffee cup for their duty um but it stays in your system quite a long time so it can be really affecting your sleep in quite a massive way yeah the half life's around four hours i believe so like if you have a if you have a monster you're there's still going to be some of that you know lurking around late into the afternoon and i think the argument that a lot of people have is that well i drink a lot of caffeine and i'm fine i think we just we just get used to how we feel and it becomes normal even if it's not um you know, we, we, our body is very good at adapting. Um, I know that when, you know, I, I have no intention of giving up caffeine, but I do do caffeine resets of up to a month. And it's as sad as it is, as it makes me to admit, um, I do tend to feel better and sleep better when I don't consume caffeine. Um, so I think, you know, whilst I drink caffeine now and I sleep okay, um, that's not to say that I wouldn't be sleeping better if I didn't have caffeine. We just basically build up a tolerance and we get used to how it's in there. And you get the same argument with sleep in general, like, well, I only have five hours and I feel fine. It's like, no, you've just got so used to feeling bad that it feels fine to you now. And if you actually had a few good weeks of, of, of good sleep, you'd realise how unfine you were. Um, unless you are a scientific anomaly that, you know, um, goes against sort of what we know about sleep. If you're, if you're lacking sleep, then it's, you getting used to it rather than you being able to do it well if that makes sense yeah so uh, my next student who is already instantly got become my favorite student as her job aspiration is to become a teacher um but she (laughs) no no they're all equally i love them all um unless they want to be a teacher um but they've put so um the things that she's kind of uh worried about and wants to change so she's very anxious and struggles to focus but wants to become better at talking more confidently uh i thought i was like oh she's done my favorite resolution as well um because i like i think as a teacher i get very anxious about everything but talking confidently is something that i developed when i did my master's and i had to, to present my work date like weekly and get absolutely destroyed and then go again the next week and that built up that confidence to be able to stand in front of people but actually I like to be able to talk confidently is is a skill especially like with uh, that's why oracy is kind of that big buzzword of last year and kind of increasing kids talking because majority of them are kind of texting each other they're not really actually talking especially not necessarily talking in public and talking in front of a group of people is kind of a different thing so like I guess it's kind of two strands isn't it how do you deal with kind of getting rid of the anxiety and then how do you kind of become more confident 
So I think um, I think you've got to go with exposure therapy, that sort of approach. I don't know. Are you familiar with exposure therapy for anxiety? No. So essentially you take, it sounds horrible, but it's very effective, which is essentially, let's say that if someone's scared of spiders, what you might do is you'd put them outside a room with a spider in it, and then you put them in the room with the spider in a box. And what you do is you gradually increase the exposure that they have to the thing that they're scared of. Um, but it's eliminating long-lasting phobias in, in, in a matter of weeks, sometimes hours. Um, because obviously the more you're exposed to it, the, the less effect it has on you, because a lot of this is in our minds. So with the speaking situation, you know, like you say, like you did, if you, you can jump into the deep end and just stand up and accept that you're going to be, it's harder when you're younger, but just accept that you're probably going to be bad to start with. But, you know, the more you speak in front of people, the better you're going to get. Or you can do the gradual approach, which is deliver a speech to two of your best friends and then add in a few more friends and build up to more and more people and then um, do that. And I think with the confidence, you know, I, I just think that that would naturally be a byproduct of practicing speaking in front of people. Um, you can go the fake it till you make it. And I'm not a big affirmations manifestation person. I think that does work for some people. Research shows that it tends to work for people who are already uh, confident about themselves and people who are actually very, you know, sort of insecure tend not to believe affirmations and it makes them feel worse. So I think you do have to tread carefully with the recommendation again. Um, but for me, confidence is a byproduct of, of you know, like I say, so let's say that you stand up in front of people, it's not comfortable, but you stand up in front of a group of people 10 times. You've got 10 situations, 10, 10 um, pieces of evidence where you can do it. And from that, you're naturally going to start to feel more confident. And then the more you do it, the more you're exposed to feedback or being willing to ask for feedback. And like you said, you know, you might get that situation where someone comes up to you afterwards and just offers you that compliment. So, I really enjoyed that. Um, I think you've got to not expect that. Um, but when you do get it, you know, that's going to be a huge boost. I, I find that anxiety thing with the idea of putting somebody in a room with a spider until they get used to it really interesting, especially from an mm. education point of view. We've got a massive thing with kids and anxiety in getting them to attend school um, since kind of COVID. And I think that idea, especially and uh, more so as well with kids getting them into an exam room. So like, I find that a really interesting concept. I would love to know if, if anybody out there want to tweet me, um, tell me um, whether you do any of this. But is, is that something that actually we could be doing with anxiety, anxious kids in terms of getting them to it into exams? If we actually just sit them in the exam for an hour on their own and then the next day it's a couple of hours and the next day they spend all day and maybe they have a couple of people in there and they have a little group of them and we build it up that way are they then able when they hit the summer be able to do exams all in in one room I know quite often we do mocks and kids all go in there but I've, I've seen that even some kids aren't even getting into mock exams they just they just physically cannot go in through that door or they have a breakdown kind of trying to get into that door and then don't come in for a few days and kind of miss the other exams so from that respect, that idea of breaking that down in terms of how it could really work in teaching, if you have those anxious children, especially those ones with exams, that could be quite an interesting thing to try to get them used to kind of exam rooms rather than just going, oh, there's a mock, you've got to be in there. Um, or now it's the actual thing, go. Um, would be quite interesting to see whether that has a positive effect. That would be interesting. 
Uh, we've got Paul. He's written in his um, New Year's resolution is uh, the daily battle of getting the kids out on time, but also being able to give out the letters, the daily prayer, tidy classroom, etc. So that end of day kind of finishing on time and getting everything done. Oh gosh, I know that feeling. And it's it's that that when and then to feel like you're leaving your classroom like you've actually finished everything and you can go home and relax that but that kind of last end of day rush to try and get everything done before you go home is horrific uh, any tips for kind of getting everything kind of done and sorted and organized how any tips for kind of organizing that and timekeeping I think there's two elements to that that I can see. I think you have to um, work backwards, um, you know, so you almost have to, if it takes half an hour, maybe allow 45 minutes and 45 minutes, have some sort of alarm or notification system that's like, right, we need to start the wind up. And I say the reason to give a buffer is because everything always takes longer than we think it's going to take, even if we've got a plan to make it take as long as it takes, for you know, it's the way that it works. Um, and then the, my last piece of advice is probably isn't the most helpful or wouldn't, at first appearances isn't the most helpful, but is the acceptance that sometimes not everything is going to get done. And therefore what I would do is I'd have a hierarchy of systems where it would be like, okay, so the most important thing that I want to make sure is that's done is this. And then the next most important thing is this. And then the next most important thing is this. And so therefore, you know, you know that, okay, um, at the end of the day, even if you haven't got any, everything done, you've got the most important things done. And then almost having to sort of make peace with the fact that today just didn't go my way. I'm not going to get everything done. Um, but if your criteria is at the end of the day, I want to make sure everything is done, then you're setting the bar at perfection and anything else is, is unacceptable. So almost having yeah, that tiered system that allows for a little bit of not everything is going to go my way every day. And therefore, um, you yeah. know, I'm okay with that. I'm I'm very guilty of doing the easiest things first instead of the the important things first, and then I end up doing the big important things in a rush at the end. Um, so I feel a bit seen with what you've said. Um, that actually, yeah, I just need to start with the important things and get them done rather than doing the little bits that I quite enjoy that aren't quite as important. Um. But you can do that. The way that you do it works. Like the, the way that you do it doesn't. It is, if, yeah, but, but if something takes like two minutes, you're like, okay, I'll do that. And then what you're doing then is you're getting a psychological win. So you're like, right, I'm off to the races. But then what you can't do is continue to do the little things that don't matter. You know what I mean? So like, you have to be like, okay, these three things are going to take me two minutes each. I'm going to do them. Bang, bang, bang. Now I need to do the big thing. But what can happen is, you're, what you're really, what you're kind of, I think, getting at instead of doing that is you're using the small things as a as a means of procrastination on the big things. Yeah, to feel like um, I've achieved something, even though it's not the thing that I should have achieved. <laughs> yeah, and that comes down to like the the uh, busy versus important or busy versus productive. Yes. You no, know, like like you've got a lot done, but you you've not really moved the needle. Whereas actually, if you'd got less done but on more important things, it would have more had more of an impact. Um, but I also think, like I say, going back to that self-compassion of, of, you know, it sounds like obviously I'm not doing this, this, uh, what should we call it, like a lockdown process or like a shutting down process. Yeah, um, end of day. Yeah, it, 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 
there's a lot going on and a lot that's out of your control and and i think there is that um you know you need that element of self-compassion which is like yeah some days you're going to absolutely nail it and some days you're not and the days that you don't is being you know okay what didn't work so that maybe it's something that i can fix so that i can get that right tomorrow if it's something that you can't fix making your peace with the day didn't just go my way but then not letting that deter you from trying again the next day um and i just think you know that that some days are going to work out and some days are not going to work out but as long as more days work out ultimately than don't um then that's progress yeah i quite i quite like the thing of of giving yourself a time that you have to leave as well because i'm very much on the days where i'm at school and i'm like right uh, i don't have my kid tonight i can stay as long as i want i can get everything done but i'll end up being there hours later and still not really got everything done that I wanted to get done but I've spent all these hours and then I go home and then I haven't got the downtime and I'm really tired I find actually when I set myself right everything has to be done by this time and then I go home if it's not done by that time it doesn't get done it moves over tomorrow because otherwise you t- I just, then you end up in that cycle especially as as trainee teachers if you'll end up in school and staying at school, give yourself a deadline or or that Friday, make sure you leave at three o'clock and you're out with that door. Like there is that balance. You've got to look after you and your health um, beyond drinking greens and eating garlic. Um, you need to kind of think about your your mental health and and not burn yourself out early on. And I think that's the thing with teaching. It's, it's this job that you can keep going and going and going. And there won't be enough hours in the day and you won't, there'll always be things to do because we're all perfectionists and, and teaching workload is just massive and we could always be doing more to help X, Y and Z. And we need to actually do what we can do in the hours that we get paid for and make sure that we're not burning ourselves out by adding extras onto our workload because we feel like we have to, not because we we should be doing it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you can push yourself that far and you can tell yourself that you've got to do X, Y, and Z and, and, you know, you can have the perfectionist mindset and you can aspire to achieve everything. But ultimately, if you don't look after yourself, you can do absolutely nothing if you're at home from mental exhaustion and burnout. Um, I've got, I've, I've only got a couple more left on my, on my students. They all kind of did quite similar um, resolutions. I've got a few that have, have actually said they'd like to go to sleep um at a scheduled time i don't know whether that whether they've not been pacific they've not said early just at a scheduled (laughs) time um the the best thing that you can do for sleep is consistent bed and wake time so to be honest it doesn't doesn't really matter what time it is if they stick to a consistent bedtime that is one of the best things that you can do to improve your sleep sleep regularity because our because our circadian rhythm is obviously hormonal consistency of sleep schedule is huge so that's actually a really good they probably don't know if they, maybe they do know that but that is yeah i mean obviously ideally it would be a sensible time and consistent but even consistent is a good habit they're wise before their years um yeah. the other the one that you told me the other day actually that i has has started working for me and i i quite like it is the fact that you can actually f- turn your tell your phone when you want to go to sleep and it will start it um turns off all of my notifications and stuff and all all of my apps all the little notifications because I'm really I'm one of those awful people that doesn't open messages and stuff but they all disappear and I quite like the fact that I don't don't know who messages me but it was it was putting it into that sleep mode or telling my phone when and every night it does it at the same time 
Yeah, and, and you know, people knock technology, and, and technology can really disrupt our sleep, but if we leverage it to our advantage, we can use it to help us as well. I mean, my phone does the same. So at nine o'clock, my phone will go into complete lockdown mode. Do not disturb. All apps are turned off. Um, you know, like I, I'm, I'm technology is unfortunately so. You know, if people have their thing, that is mine. So in about twenty minutes, all my lights are going to go to dim and to like the nighttime settings throughout my house. And I, I have a proper like, I have my own little shutdown sleep scenario going on. And rather than relying on me to remember at nine o'clock to do this, I've set up a series of automations with my lights at home and my phone that basically it removes that decision out of my hands and makes it for me so yeah little things like that you know in the morning as well you can have it um there's a really good app called sleep cycle that wakes you up in the in the ideal stage of sleep in the morning and stuff like that so there are there are things that you know that can there are ways that you can use tech to benefit you um obviously the one thing again that i would recommend for a lot of people is not taking your phone to bed um, so you're not tempted to check it um, last thing or night or first thing in the morning. But obviously, I appreciate a lot of people use it for their alarm. So if you do that, either have it in sleep mode like you have or even put it in airplane mode so that there's no chance of things coming through. The one thing I like about do not disturb mode, though, for a lot of people who obviously have friends and family and stuff, is what you can do is you can designate a number. So if your phone's in do not disturb mode, it won't let phone calls through unless the designated number or any amount of designated numbers. I'm not sure. I don't think you can, I don't think it's a limited amount. But if they ring you twice within a certain time frame, I think it's one or two minutes. It will then get. It will then override. The yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So if there is an emergency, so because obviously what you don't want to do is put your phone in airplane mode and then you're lying there in a huge state of anxiety that something could happen to someone you care about. So maybe for some people, obviously the um, do not disturb feature with allowed numbers just allows for any emergency to come through. But you know you don't need to be. I know it's tempting, but you know, it's such a it, it's a really risky game checking social media before going to sleep. And what I mean by that is that <laughs> you can it, see something that really winds you up, like just before you go to bed, and obviously that's going to wreak havoc on your sleep. You know, because you're not going to then be able to just switch off and be like, oh, "I'll deal with that tomorrow." You're gonna you're gonna want to reply. You're gonna want to engage. You would you know you're gonna feel angry or whatever emotion it's it sparked in you. So I think. Not putting yourself in a situation where that's a possibility is is a good way to go. Like you say, like you're doing reading or journaling or meditating or whatever it may be. Um, I've got I've got another one. I feel like um, oh, that's uh, my phone has just literally beeped and gone. Don't forget your you need to get start getting ready to bed at nine thirty. Um, so <laughs> it knew we were talking about it. Um, so one of them said to be more productive. I think I, I quite like that as a year 10 kind of deciding what they need to do, but I feel like they need to be, I, I'm quite a productive person. So I quite like that. But I think that is a little bit linking in with what we've done is that you get drawn into social media and you become unproductive. Um, but I think kind of like you said, like focusing, because you can always do the opposite of journaling for that one and, and write down at the start of the day, the things you want to try and achieve and kind of almost do your to-do list at the start of the day because I find it I have a to-do list book so I find that actually rewriting it every couple of days and refreshing myself out um kind of makes me be a little bit more productive I'm like right this is what I need to get done and it kind of by writing it out helps me be a little bit more reflective of what I need to get done 
Yeah, I mean, if you've got a to-do list book, I would argue that it's not a to-do list. Um, <laughs> it's my teaching to-do list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what in that situation, I think what could be beneficial is like uh, making a today list or a focus list and choosing one to three things. And then if you do those one to three things, adding something after the fact. I even at one point would only have one thing on my to-do list each day. Um, when I was really struggling with my focus and productivity, I'd be like, right, I've got to pick one task for this task. And my criteria was what's the one thing that if I do today, by completing it, everything will become easier or unnecessary. And that would get me to really hone in on just one thing. And obviously, I'd probably end up doing more than one thing. But if I wasn't having a good day, like, you know, which is when my mental health is quite bad, if I wasn't having a good day and I only did that one thing, I knew that I'd move the needle. Um and so, you know, you can get, you can, you can use that. I know some people that do like, I'm going to put one big thing, two medium things and two small things on my list, you know, and that is, you know, when you're younger, your, your capacity is going to be less, but I think it is just not trying to be um, overly ambitious and almost setting yourself up for failure at the start of the day. But I think setting intentions at the start of the day, a really, a, a really nice question that I like in, if you are journaling or even doing a list. Or even when I say journaling, it can even be like a thought journal, you know, something to think about is, um, and this is because I do sometimes think that productivity is, is too narrow a definition of like, you know, it's all dependent on output in terms of, um, you know, what we produce, literally what we produce in the world. Whereas I think product, you know, if, if you, if you're feeling burnt out and stressed, actually the most productive thing that you can do could be nothing. So I think I like to view productivity in, in, in that sense. And, so the saying that I like to contemplate at the start of the day is what's one thing today? What's one thing that I need to do today that would make it that would enable me to call it a good day? You know, so if, if it is like I need to send that package or I need to send an email or I need to make sure um, I do nothing. It's it's just, you know, a nice way of honing in your focus on what's truly important that day rather than what's urgent. And obviously I think as a teacher, you probably have urgent and important tasks. And have you ever used the Eisenhower matrix? No. So Eisenhower, the the president, he basically very productive, and he had this matrix. So it was you've got tasks which are either urgent, um, urgent, not urgent, important or not important. And obviously, most of us are putting out fires in. Um, urgent but not important so they're things that need dealing with but they, they're not really that important to our goals what we really want to focus on is things that are important but not urgent you know so um let's say you're writing a book and you've got a year to write it that's important that you start writing it and you write regularly but it's not urgent right now but what we tend to do is leave it until it becomes both important and urgent and that's when we end up in a bit of bother so you know it's just one way of organizing your to-do list to be like okay what i really need to focus on is the important and not urgent and obviously important and urgent if you leave things too late they obviously need to be dealt with um and then you've got the not important and not urgent and they're the things that we do that you probably saying like in, in your shutdown process that make us feel like we're doing something but actually make no difference to anything if you know what i mean yeah um and it's just make, it's just putting your tasks into a different um into a into a set framework where you can therefore designate them i guess in a in a type of priority and make sure that where you are spending your time and again that's the thing is there's a difference between being busy and being productive. And I think a lot of people these days are busy, but not everybody is productive. 
Yeah, I think there's a big difference. I quite like mm. the idea of like starting with one thing and mastering that. And, and that leads quite well to habit stacking. And I quite like habit stacking, like when I've mastered something and that's embedded and I'm, I'm okay, that feels comfortable. I don't really have to think about it. Then I'll add another habit onto the, onto the back of that. And then I've, I, that's how I've built up kind of my, really transformed my lifestyle in the way that I kind of am. I quite like that idea of it. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It takes longer, but it sticks, and I think ultimately that's what matters. Um, this time of the year is is so people are so ambitious, and I admire that. But they just try and change so much all at the same time, um, and then kind of beat themselves up because it didn't work out. And it's like, well, it was never going to. And it's not because you're to blame. It's just the way that you tried to go about it is not really the best way. Um, so I think that, you know, one thing at a time and build is, is a fantastic approach. Um, it does take a little bit longer, not a whole lot longer, but it, if your chances of success are higher, why wouldn't you? They, they last longer. And I think that's the key. And that, and that's the thing, isn't it? And uh, I liked um, you wrote the other day about um, failures like don't write it all off if you if one thing goes wrong if you, if you set yourself this goal and you you miss one weekend or fall off the wagon or what have you that's that's not going to throw off the whole year you can still get back onto it oh 100% like there's there's a bit of a paradox with quitting because i think everyone's like never quit i don't think that's good advice i think sometimes it makes sense to quit because you know we 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 sometimes do things for too long um because we started or because we've invested a certain amount of time or energy into them, whereas actually it's in our best interest to quit. But on the other side of that, I think some people quit too soon because they have this, if I can't get 100% done, and you guys know with, 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 with exams, right, like the pass mark's not 100%. I mean, what, what, what percentage is the pass at the moment? Oh, gosh, it depends. Uh, I think for, for art, for a four, the last one was 49 out of 96 so around 50%. Right. Not, so, a math, so, not a math teacher, just for no, so clarification. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's call it 50%. So, you know, you, you can, obviously there's degrees of passing. I get that there's grades, but you can pass and still get 50% wrong, give or take. And and we see that in exams, but then when it comes to behaviour change and, and, and everything, we, we throw that all out the window and we're like, you know, I've got to get it. I've I've got to be perfect. I've got to get it spot on. And, and if I miss a day, then um, you know what's the point? And what what the point is? And I think if you're referring to that email that I wrote, I think I worked it out that even if you took, you know, even if you messed up every weekend, you still end up with a, you know, getting seventy eight percent. Was that right? Or seventy two percent success rate. Now, 72% in exams, like you take that all day long, right? Like, that's going to be a, a, a half decent grade. Um, and yet, when it comes to our lives and behavior change, we're like, oh, seven, you know, 72, you know, it's, it's got to be 100% or nothing. But there's 366 days this year. Can you imagine when, if you say to yourself, like, if it's not, per- unless I can be perfect, I don't want to do it, you're basically saying that I have got to be spot on every day for 366 days in a row. Now, that's a big ask. Um, and I think we just, therefore, when, you know, we mess up, we're like, oh, I haven't got what it takes. And there's a lot of psychology in this, learned helplessness. And I think the more we've tried something and failed, the harder it is to believe that it's actually going to be any different this time. And that's a whole different kettle of fish. I, I understand that. But I think for most people, 
um, you know, they do throw the towel in too soon. And what they do is they're like, they try one way, you know, so like I want to lose weight. So I'll try They'll pick an exercise class and, and let's say they pick a diet and it fails. And they're like, oh, I'm just never going to lose weight. It's like, well, no, you just chose two methods that don't work for you. So try again and keep trying again. And until you get to the point where there is literally nothing else to try, I don't feel that you should be quitting as long as that goal remains important and meaningful to you. And I think it's consistency, isn't it? Rather than the the amount, um, how regularly you do it. As long as you as long as you do it and keep going, then you'll get there. I think the thing is with with late weight loss or kind of exercise, is it that it, in four weeks you'll you'll feel it, in six weeks you'll see it, in eight weeks you'll hear it. Like it's not a quick process, and I think that goes for any kind of habit. We, there's gonna it's gonna be difficult at the start, and it's not gonna feel natural. It will take time to build up. And for you to feel that it's then a successful uh, lifestyle change. Yeah, and I've been thinking about this recently, and I think that there's this, and I don't know, maybe I don't know this for a fact, but I get the impression that that some people believe that you know once you've been doing something for a prolonged period of time, that there's no more hard days, and I think that's a really unrealistic and unhelpful attitude because I think. I've been, I've been a P, I was a PT for over a decade. I've been exercising in the gym for longer than that, and there are still really difficult days. And I think what people do is because they expect it to just get easier and easier and easier until the point that it's always easy. When they come across a difficult day, they're like, "Oh, am I doing something wrong?" It's like, no, that's just the way it is. You know, everyone, everyone has bad days. Um, no matter how long you've been doing something, no matter how disciplined, how much willpower, how much motivation. There are going to be days when you still really don't want to do it. And if you do it, it's going to feel really hard. Um, and so when you expect that, you're not derailed by that. And you can be like, okay, well, getting it done is more, you know, and this is the other thing is some days, you know, doing it is better than doing it well. Um, yeah. You know, and I think some days if you've only got 40% to give and you give 40%, then that's 100% effort, right? That's That's all you can do on some days. But if you do that, like you say, day in, day out, or, every other day or at least consistently you are going to make incredible progress i'm i'm going to end on this one which was messaged to me earlier in the week when i asked for um a resolution so ali messaged in and said their resolution was to smile more which coincides with a kind of one of my new school policy which is to smile to smile at students to say good morning and to encourage them to say good morning and you have that conversation and I can't tell you how much it does for my well-being, even as a new teacher, wandering into school. And every morning I have kids talking to me and saying hello and asking me how I am or just saying something. I've even got, I've already pinpointed the slightly naughty children, but I've even got one of them that gives me a little wave every day in the corridors. They're, they're mainly laughing at me because I'm lost. But, um, I, and, and I even if I'm walking around, I'm like, am I, is this the right way to this room? And they're like, yeah. Um, but I just think it is. It, it's. I think it goes back to that kindness brings you. You're more happy if you're kinder, and I think that goes for the children too. If we smile and are polite to children and ask them, and we expect them to respond, it's more engaging. You're getting that eye contact with them. It it just creates a better kind of atmosphere at school, and I think that should be every teacher's resolution to try and engage students in the corridor and kind of build that relationship with students, um, and have that positive outlook. Yeah, we are very mimetic. There's there's a fantastic clip on YouTube about this 
it, it shows you how infectious um, our mannerisms are. And there's this guy, I, I don't, I, somewhere in Europe, and he just starts laughing. And he's, he's obviously a staged actor. And he just starts laughing. He doesn't pay any attention. He's got his headphones in, and he just keeps laughing and laughing and laughing. And before you know it, the whole train is laughing with him, not at him, but with him. Because in addition, and there is this, you know, if you if you smile, people will tend to smile back. If you walk tall and proud, people, you know, people pick up on body language, and we tend to mimic that, you know. And I think if you know that that, that smiling will will create this um, infectious sort of uh response and and so it is even just even if it's not smiling even if it's like saying good morning um you know when you walk past someone rather than sort of just bowing your head down and completely ignoring them that that, that makes a difference um you know i think people now have got so used to sort of being ignored we all walk around on our headphones and stuff when yeah. i'm like walking the dog in the morning i sometimes say good morning and it's almost people are like shocked like did you say good morning to me like, they don't obviously say that but you can tell by their expression it's like they're expecting me just to completely ignore them and it's it's not a big thing, but it can have a big impact because they might then go and say good morning to the next person they meet, and you sort of start this chain reaction yes. of, of sort of positive things going on. So um, a friend of mine, he's fantastic. He's got a charity called Smiling, and his thing is every morning, walk or run a mile. No, like not every morning. Every day, walk or run a mile. Think of something you're grateful for and smile. And that's it. his whole charity is based on, on that simple concept of you know just sort of appreciation, smiling, and and getting moving. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. Well, thank you so much for joining me and chatting with me tonight. Maybe your New Year's resolution is to become a teacher talk radio host. I did this just before Christmas last year, and it's been the best New Year's resolution that I've ever kept. Um, so do drop Teacher Talk Radio a DM if you want to get a host pack and find out more information, because there's lots of slots available. So if you fancy giving that a go for your New Year's resolution, then do do that. I will say, I think this podcast is one of the best for your staff well-being. Like, if you want to help your staff in generally making healthier decisions and keeping habits and having a nice staff well-being within your school, then do get this uh, link to this podcast popped onto your teacher briefing notes and get people listening to it. Because I think we need to work together as a community of teachers and make sure we're looking after each other and working and not burning out and and creating better habits to be able to survive the year uh, and don't forget if you're going to join me on my uh, new year's resolution and, and do some more reading our lovely um sponsors over at john cap bookshop you can go have a look on that website and use the code jcttr2324 for 20 percent off um, and have some happy reading and some good sleeping so thank you for joining me over on twitter or x for my first uh, evening show and i'll be here on tuesdays Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.